Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Happy Friday and a good day for our mailbag segment, one of the most popular of the week. Got some great questions on the Bucks, the Rays, the Lightning, and more. And we uh, have one in, in particular we're going to talk about, and we don't have to do this off the top because it's going to take a little thought before mm-hmm. I get into it. We're going to talk about the Mount Rushmore of bad actors from Tampa Bay. We've talked about the Mount Rushmore, whether it's Evan Longoria, right, or in hockey, Steven Stamkos. Um, you know, in Derek Indiana, Brooks, in the NFL, Derek Brooks, Warren Sapp, sure. The Hall of Famers, Leroy Selman, right? Who would be on the sports Mount Rushmore in Tampa Bay? Well, who would, who would the opposite be? The anti Mount Rushmore, the guys that you never want to see or hear about again. So we'll get into that in a little bit, but we have some other questions. So let's get started. All right. Les had tweeted us. He says, was not drafting a wide receiver in the early rounds a mistake, considering right now the only proven receiver we have on the roster is Mike Evans. I know Chris Godwin's there, but his knee is just a concern. Seems like Todd Bowles wanted to flex his defensive muscles with the Hall pick. Well, it's a great question, and we won't know the answer to that until they play the season, because I don't know anything really about Logan Hall in terms of what kind of NFL player he's going to be this year. He just turned 22 years old, uh, and he really only had one great season if you want to call it that, at the University of Houston. He's sort of a late bloomer, uh, but again, he has a huge upside. What they did do, however, was they passed on what they said um, were four or five other players they would have taken at number 27. And one of those was a wide receiver, Christian Watson, from Plant High School that went to the Green Bay Packers. Now, Aaron Rodgers hasn't had great success with you know rookie receivers uh, in their rookie years in Green Bay, but Watson is a special dude, you know, and if he turns out to be, you know, one of those great Packer receivers, we may look back at this and go, wow, you know, they had a guy from their own hometown that they were willing to to pass on along with other players and, you know, just, just to move down and pick up an extra second-round pick that he used on an offensive lineman. So I I thought for sure, and I don't know with the first pick, but I thought for sure they were going to take a receiver – and they've signed, you know, about three or four of them in, in you know, for the the undrafted free agents types that, that I think they like. But um, you have to also remember they went and got Russell Gage in the offseason to sort of offset, I believe, if Chris Godwin's not ready at the start of the year. Russell Gage is coming off his best season. You know, there was a lot of injuries, uh, and Julio Jones was gone in Atlanta last year. His last eight games, he caught 50 balls, and that's a lot of a lot of catches. He's a great route runner. He can play outside. He can play the slot. So I don't know. It's a total mistake. I mean, you still have Brashard Perriman. You still have Cyril Grayson. You still have Tyler Johnson and Scotty Miller. So there are guys that have to step up and play well and play big. But I don't, I don't know that it was a, a mistake or not because I got to see how these other guys they passed on, namely Christian Watson, end up doing. 
Um, was it their biggest need? Was receiver their biggest need? No, I don't think it was. And teams typically, you know, they'll tell you they're going to take the best player available, but that always means they're going to take the best player available at their biggest need. And their biggest need was interior defensive line. They had not re-signed, you know, Indomitian Sue, And I think for that reason, they felt, whether it was Devontae Wyatt, um, whether it was Logan Hall, they, they were going to get a guy that was going to come in here and play and put him next to Vita Vea and expect him to play and maybe start for them, and that's what they did. So, uh, again, you know, the thing about the draft is they're hard to evaluate in the moment. you got to play out the season. I just know this. Last year they got one guy that played, Joe Tryon Shawinka. He wasn't supposed to play as much as he did because there was an injury to JPP. Tell me what the rest of the class did because I can't remember. You know, um, you know K.J. Britt. Sure, um, you know, Grant Stewart, those guys did well on special teams. You know who didn't? Jalen Darden. Uh, And so I don't think they got much out of last year's class. So, you know, they need guys like Logan Hall to play really, really well and play right away. Um, They got a punter. He's probably going to take the job and play right away. So they they got several players. If if they don't have enough receivers on this roster right now, then that's on them. But I think they addressed it in in the off season with Russell Gage. I think they're confident that Godwin's going to be back sooner than later. They won't know, you know, if he's going to be the same guy in year one or not after surgery. Mike Evans is Mike Evans. You know, uh, he just keeps pumping out thousand yard seasons. Uh, and the other guys are going to have competition to try to play and make this team. You know, this is not going to be an easy roster to make at wide receiver. So that's going to elevate them as well. Um, so a mistake, I, again, I, I think it depends on what Watson becomes because he was the guy you could have taken. And, and also how well Hall plays. It's a little too early to say it's a mistake. I, w- I, would not, I do not have a problem with them not taking a wide receiver with their first pick. Um, but moving down was a gamble. And they moved down and picked up an offensive guard which, you know, they've been telling us that they really like Darren Stinney and they really like Robert Hainsey. So, you know, did they need the offensive guard right there? Like that might have been more of a place to maybe address the receiver position too. So we'll see. But but on the surface, I don't I don't have a problem with what they did with their first pick. All right, John tweeted us. He said, last week you alluded to Byron Lefwich and Tom Brady having different ideas about how to run the offense now that Bruce Arians has moved on. Do you see less emphasis on the no-risk-it and more of a Patriots-Josh McDaniels kind of approach, striving for a 50-50 run-pass ratio? Well, you always strive for that. But, yeah, to answer your question, I do think that this is going to look even more like a Tom Brady offense than it did last year. And it began sort of to morph into that um, the second half of the Super Bowl uh, year, you know, when they had the the sort of, you know, detente, if you will, between Bruce Arians and Tom Brady. And, again, you know, Byron Leftwich has done it all. I know, you know, Byron gets annoyed. You know, the perception is that this is Bruce's offense and therefore, you know, Bruce is in control. It's really been Byron doing the game planning with Tom. Tom's going to get his way. And he does not, at age 45, want to be in a position of taking seven-step drops and, you know, seeing five guys run verticals. And there he sits, a target. He does not want that. And, And nor does... Um, nor have we seen a lot of that in you know sort of late in the season. Doesn't mean he won't take his shots when they're there, but he wants a running game and he wants play action. He wants a receiver out of the backfield and, and this sort of thing. And and I do think that you know 
not that Bruce game plan because he didn't, but Todd Bowles' philosophy is a lot closer to the Tom Brady's than it is to Bruce Arians in terms of offense. Like he, he's a defensive coach. He wants to protect his defense. He wants to complement them. Um, you know, he doesn't want to expose them in certain instances. You know, when you're pushing, pushing, pushing the ball downfield, you can have turnovers. You can have a lot of three and outs. We've seen this team, especially against the New Orleans Saints, have a ton of three and outs and not use any clock at all. And that can be a problem when you wear out your defense early in games like that. So I think you're going to see a more complementary approach. I think you're going to see maybe the return of, of some of the smaller slot receivers in addition to Godwin and guys like that. Um, and I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be what Tom Brady wants it to be, finally. Um, you know, whatever that is. And then again, I'm not saying, look, they won a Super Bowl together, and I don't think that Tom Brady ordered the code red, and I don't think there was an ultimatum and all those things you read about. But I do believe that Brady has things that he wants to do more of, which is run the football, uh, and probably less of, which is, you know, seven-step drops and, and a lot of verticals and things like that. So to me, this is going to be the, the closest thing to a Brady offensive we've seen in his third season, um, you know, to date. And, and that's, you know, and then Byron Leftwich will be fine with it because Byron's going to do, and he was quarterback himself, Byron's going to do whatever makes Tom the most comfortable. And who is Byron Leftwich to tell the greatest quarterback of all time, who's won seven Super Bowls, that this isn't the best way to win. Um, and so I, I do expect changes for sure. All right, Thad had tweeted us. He said, could Hall of Fame induction have some impact on Rob Gronkowski's decision? Obviously, it's not the most important factor, but assuming he's healthy and still kind of wants to play, would he rather go in alongside his buddy Tommy or maybe go in a year earlier and get some more spotlight? I mean, it's a great question. I don't, you're right. I don't think you make it based on that. I think that, well, here, here's what I think I think is Peter King would say. I believe that Rob Gronkowski was prepared to retire and retire fairly soon, right up until the day Tom Brady said he wasn't. And, you know, Tom was out some 41 days or so. I think if another week had gone by, you'd have seen Gronkowski pull the plug. That's what I was hearing, that he was he was going to go out. And, you know, how much of that was because, you know, he just wanted to play with Brady and no one else, or he wanted to go in the Hall of Fame with him because they're both obviously first ballot guys. I think it'd be cool, right? They they spent at least Gronk spent his whole career with Tom, and you know that combination that that would make sense, and I think he would really enjoy that. But I don't think it's exclusive. Like I don't think like you know you base a seventeen game season and all that goes into preparing for that and all the pain that he's experienced in his career to subject himself to more, whether it's broken ribs or whatever else might come to pass. I don't think you do that just so you can stand on a stage in Canton, Ohio one day. Um, they're both going to get in there. Um, you know, Rob had retired. I always say this, like, you know, Gronkowski left Brady. Like, he left the game. And Brady was going to continue to play, and he knew that. And so he was fine if his, if his Hall of Fame clock started ahead of Tom's before. Why wouldn't he be fine with it now? So it's a neat little thing to think about. I don't think he spends an inordinate amount of time thinking about it. And, and I believe that, um, you know, I, I, I think that decision is going to be based very little on, you know, on what happens in Canton in five years. I think it's going to be based largely on how he feels. And I don't know that he's totally decided yet. My, my guess is he'll play. I know he's only going to play here. 
I know that he detests anything in the off season with respect to OTAs. Even the mandatory minicamp, he can blow off and just wait and sign until right before training camp if that's what he wants to do. But I do think there's a part of him that's really looking to see, you know, you know, what am I, what am I missing here? What am I passing up? And he's he's retired once. Retiring the second time wouldn't be that difficult for him. Um, there's got to be a reason why he hasn't decided one way or the other, right? He could be torn or he could be like, you know what? I am going to play. And I think this is more likely. I am going to play. I know I'm going to play. But if I announce that I'm playing now, they're going to want to see me, you know, June 7th through 9th at the mandatory minicamp. I'm not about that. I'm not going to do that. I'll show up in July. I'll let them know then, you know. And there's some cap situations as well that maybe the team would like to uh, clean up and address. So there's a lot of factors, but um, I, I do think that, you know, he's going to take as much time as he feels he needs. And and I, I, I it's interesting. I said this on Twitter the other day. It's like people just think like, well, you know, why wouldn't he play? Well, you know, you're not the one that's had the 18 surgeries. And you're not the one that cracked four ribs last year and punctured your lung. And I think people don't understand the, what the offseason is like to prepare. You know, like, if you let yourself get out of shape, you're never going to play. Now, Gronk always works out, and, he, you know, they've shown him working out with various guys this offseason. But, like, the sacrifice they make physically to play this game, and not just the offseason, but the pain they go through during the year, the length of the season – if you get in the playoffs, you're talking about 20, 21 weeks now. I mean, that is, you know, such a marathon. It's like, hey, man, um, you've run 10 Boston marathons. Do you want to sign up for one right now? And it's like, I literally just got done running the marathon. Don't talk to me about a marathon. I'm completely exhausted. I don't want to think about it. Uh, you know, I, I, my feet hurt. I've lost weight. I got hamstring injuries. Like, it's kind of that way. You know, it's kind of like asking a guy, hey, are you, are you down for the pain? Are you down for the grind? And and not just any grind. 17 regular season games plus what you hope is a Super Bowl run. So it's just not and, – and, you know, and you've got all the money in the world too, by the way. This is the other thing. Like the money has gotten so big. There's a reason Ali Marpet quit at age 27, 28 years old. It's because he could, right? He's made $30, $40 million in his career. He feels great. A lot of information on what this game does to you later in life, whether it's CTE or other things. And, you know – Here's Gronkowski with a supermodel girlfriend, SI swimsuit model, like uh, tremendous family. He's smart as hell. I know he plays the Gronk thing pretty well, but like he really is uh, an astute businessman uh, from that standpoint. And like, you know, sometimes when you figure out what you want to do with the rest of your life, you want it to start as soon as possible. Um, and so that could be what he's thinking. You know, what if he wants to get married and have a family? Like, there's so many things that we don't consider when we're just fans of football teams or football players you just feel like well why wouldn't he play well you know because this is his life um and i really do think that he's thinking hard about it in the end of the day if i'm a betting man i bet that he does play and i bet that he plays here but i also bet that you won't hear that decision until after june 7 through 9 when that mandatory minicamp is over probably not till july in fact all right rick had tweeted us he said Rick, which game would be the best opening game matchup for the Bucks? Would love another opening day matchup with them Cowboys so we could start out 1 and 0 again. Yeah, well that 1 and 0 was pretty shaky, wasn't it? I mean, that that game came down to the wire. They needed a last second drive to to win that one. Cowboys were really good that night. That was a that was a hell of a game. It was a hell of a way to open the season for sure. 
I think, I mean, if you're going with like games you can win, right? Like just games you think you have a shot at winning. Uh, I don't know. You know, Carolina is probably the most unsettled team in the NFC South if they were going to start with a division opponent. I don't think you want to go to San Francisco. I don't think you want to go to Arizona. I don't think you want to play the Chiefs or the Bengals right away. Um, yeah, it's maybe an opponent you're familiar with, like Carolina, if you're just you know wanting to jump into the into the division and you know at home maybe get a W or something like that. But the rest of them, like I said, man, th- there are no easy games this year. Maybe no, you start at Pittsburgh. It's a marquee team matchup, but yeah, their quarterback's quarterback, unsettled. And... Yeah, that could be a good one. That could be a good one. Although playing up there is tough. It is. You know? But, you know, um, it's a little cooler up there, too, at that, you know, early September or mid-September. Yeah, it would be nice. Yeah, it would be nicer up there. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one because you don't know, you know, who they're going to have. Is it going to be uh, Mitch Trubisky? Is, is it going to be, the you know, the rookie that they just drafted from Pitt? I mean, I, you know, if it's – if it's the rookie, then it's his first bite of the apple everywhere, right? It's hard to win your. It's hard to win in the NFL. Really hard to win your first game against Tom Brady in the NFL, right? That would be a that would be a big mountain. So that's a good one. I like that. What about at Cleveland? If especially if Deshaun Watson is suspended, then that would be a much easier game in theory. Yeah, in theory it would be. Although um, we don't know I, if that'll happen, but I don't know what's going to happen with that. I'd rather go to Cleveland. I'll say this: I'd rather go to Cleveland in September than in December. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you that much. So from, from that same standpoint, with <laughs> same with same with the Steelers. So yeah, let's give them a northern team on the road that they could play in September, where the weather's nice. That works. Yeah. Well, we'll find out what the schedule Thursday night, correct? That's Thursday, right. eight p.m. May twelfth. Yep. Yep. So we'll see how let's it lines see. Up. That's the when, schedule will go. Yep. When. Yeah, exactly. The Gruden thing, right? Yep. We're going to win them all. Man, win, 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 17-0, man. <laughs> That's how it goes. All right, we'll switch to baseball here unless it tweeted. Rick, my mailbag from a few weeks ago asked if you were concerned about Mike Zanino. Well, he's now 5 for 47 with 19 Ks. At what point will you get worried? Now, he sent this question in before Zanino hit the home run <laughs> yeah, on Tuesday night. Say. But You know what? Um I never was a big Mike Zanino guy, okay? Uh, I he The best he's going to do is bat 200. Well, the only thing you want from him are home runs and good defense. And so his average is sort of inconsequential. I think you figure he's going to make three out of four outs at, you know, and, and maybe more than that, two out of ten, you know, eight out of ten outs every time he's up. But if he could run into a few, that's what he's in there for. When he stops hitting home runs, and he hasn't hit many yet, um, that's when it's like, okay, well, why, why is this guy playing? Um, he still does a good job with the pitchers. It's a difficult pitching staff to handle. I don't know that Mejia – in fact, I know Mejia is not the catcher that Zanino is, not even close. And so, uh, you know, I, I think defensively, when you look at what, how this team is built, the way their pitching has carried them to this point, I think it's important to have Zanino behind the plate. But I, I'm not – like, I was never been concerned – if you're if you're a Rays fan, are you ever concerned about the catchers hitting in this town? I mean, I mean, when was you know Jose Molina? Rare. Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, they 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 have a it's a long litany of guys uh, that couldn't hit, you know, that that they caught. So I'm I'm not that's not where I'm looking for my offense. I thought last year Zanino was an all star, deserved it, had his best year, hit a ton of bombs. 
that's the prototypical year you want from Mike Zanino. If Mike Zanino comes close to that every season, man, you're, you're, he's more than earned his money. And the problem is, is that he, he, you, know, you have to make contact in order to hit home runs. And he was just awful to begin the season. Now, there's been talk about a shoulder injury. I don't know how that feels. He said, I was reading after the game, he said that uh, he's starting to feel – uh, you know, his swing come mm-hmm. back a little bit. Uh, he he y- yoked a slider that just kind of spun up there, which is a good sign. It wasn't just a fastball that he jumped on. So, you know, you got to trust guys when they say they're starting it. And also, and you've talked about this, Steve, is like that that no spring training is a factor for these mm-hmm. guys. And he hurt they, his shoulder in spring training. So, we, right. I mean, we know that he was hurt. How healthy is he now? We don't know. Right. But the at-bats, like you need to see. It's different, man. You could sit over there and take as much batting practice as you want to. But, man, you get out there with the wicked stuff these guys throw in a game situation, you need, you need at-bats to get settled, you know, to just relax. And, and uh, it sucks when you get off to a good start or a bad start because you may have to play two months to get your, your average back to 200, right, um, once you have enough one for 32s. But I just think that all that kind of conspired against them. The injury, the short spring training, you're not a good hitter to begin with. Um, you know, so let's see. Let's see if he heats up now after what was a an enormous blast for him the other day. What a comeback by the Rays in that game! Uh, they were down what five to, five to one, I think five mm-hmm. to nothing after they give the one. grand slam in the first inning. Yeah. Yarbrough did, yeah, and uh, they they pecked away at it, and their pitching was great again out of the bullpen, which has been really the star of the of the early Rays season. So yeah, Zanino and my concern, I go back to disappointed, discouraged. I go back to I'll go the Lovey Smith route. I'll go back to disappointed, but not discouraged. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, we'll end on this one. And Kevin had uh, tweeted us this last week, and we held it over because we thought it was such a good topic. We wanted to give a little more time to it. He says, continuing down misery lane, because it's an interesting conversation, who was on your anti-Mount Rushmore for Tampa Bay sports? Antonio Brown comes to mind. I'm sure most will say Stu Sternberg. All right, I'm going to sound biased if I jump on the Antonio Brown bandwagon because I'm, you know, I'm the guy that came up with the, you know, the whole news about the fake vaccination cards, and then he came back and he lost his mind, and then he ripped off his shirt, and 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 you know, BA fired him at at the end of the game. So, is Antonio Brown one of the bigger villains? He's not a bust, right? I mean, mm-hmm. remember what Antonio Brown did? He came in here eight games into the first season with Tom Brady, helped him win the Super Bowl. They won a Super Bowl in large part because of Antonio Brown. And if you look at if you look at the Super Bowl itself, I mean the guy, you know, caught a touchdown pass and he had a touchdown catch against Washington in the playoff game. He was really, really good. So from a performance standpoint, yeah, his second year was was sort of a train wreck, if you will. Um, especially like the personal meltdown and all that we remember. But yeah, a villain perhaps, but don't diminish what he did. He brought he helped bring you a Lombardi Trophy. That's undeniable. So, 
it depends on how you feel about him, right? Do you, do you, do you take the image of him, you know, ripping off his shirt and getting fired after the Jets game? Or, you know, do you remember him in the Super Bowl uh, with the tutty, you know? But I get, I get that he wasn't the most furry guy, um, you know, that the Bucks have ever had. Um, we talked about, and, and we should probably, you know, have this discussion. How do you feel about the owners of some of these franchises in Tampa Bay? And I would just say, you know, some of them are founding owners. I'll start with Hugh Culverhouse. Hugh Culverhouse was reviled in this town because starting off with the fact, you know, the Bucks didn't have any success at all. They were 0-26. I mean, they were, you know, the late-night jokes on Johnny Carson and all of that, right? Uh, you know, he hires a college coach in John McKay who comes from USC. But in the third year, third season after starting 0-26 in 76 77 third season in 79, they're in the NFC Championship game. No, they host the NFC Championship game. They upset the Philadelphia Eagles, host the NFC Championship game, lose 9 to nothing in a game that Doug Williams got hurt, or they could have they were one game from the Super Bowl. And so you're like, "Wow, that's amazing like how quick they had success." And and believe me, folks, back in those days, you didn't get good players off other teams if you're an expansion team. You got the dregs of other teams. You got the worst players. They could protect all their good players. So it wasn't like the rules are today. And then you thought, well, so what went sideways after that? The whole Doug Williams fiasco over money. You know, you lose Doug Williams, who was the absolute leader of that football team. Uh, they offered him $600,000 in a, a part of Tampa Sphere, which just was some real estate development that, you know, who Culver House had claimed. And after that, you know, just his unwillingness to spend any money especially when we got towards the era of free agency. Uh, remember, this guy sat on the management council. He, he absolutely uh, ushered in the – or exited uh, – you know, led to the exit of the USFL. Uh, he was the lead, lead owner banging that drum. Uh, and he just, he just wouldn't spend money. And his choices of coaches weren't good, right, until the Culver House Trust took over with Rich McKay and Stephen Story and Jack Donlin and those guys. They hired uh, – I think not only the Sam Weich was here, but then they hired, uh, you know, Tony Dungy. And so that, that was a great development at that point. But never put any money back into the product, um, didn't make any excuses for, you know, what he thought was winning, which was at the box office, you know, in, in terms of TV money and things like that. Uh, and so I, I, don't think, I don't think he's a, a very liked owner. Now, but then you go from him... And what about Vince Namoli? You know, like Vince Namoli got a lot of the same sort of grief, right? Um, and yet he was a founding owner of that franchise. of the Tampa. There is no Tampa Bay Rays without Vince Namoli. The way, and I wasn't here during this time, but the way Vince Namoli was described to me, he was the perfect owner to get a team here. Yeah. Because not many could have got that done. Correct. But he was the worst owner to run the team. Mm-hmm. That without Vince Namoli, there is no team here. Right. Any other ownership group would have not have been able to to do what he did and and work it the way he did. Right. But then when it came to running the franchise, it left a lot to be desired. It did, and it wasn't until they were rebranded under Stuart Sternberg and those guys that they really got mm-hmm. going again. And even Sternberg uh, could have and may have put himself in that position. I I I think Sternberg has proven. 
he's one of the better owners in baseball from the standpoint of the way he's structured his organization, whom he's hired, how they've thought out of the box to compete with big market teams, um, some of the trends that those guys that he's hired have set in baseball. However, you were going to move the team to Montreal for at least half the season and maybe more, depending on what would have gone on. Major League Baseball shut it down. So we'd have a different opinion if this team was pulling out of here to go to Montreal of Stuart Sternberg. The Lightning have had a bunch of sort of sketchy owners, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Orrin Coolis was one, or Orrin Clueless, as I used to call him back in the day. Um, how about uh, Art Williams, the old insurance agent that uh, that owned the that owned the uh, the hockey team for a while? Yeah, don't ask Phil Esposito about him. <laughs> I just remember the press conference, man. Have you ever heard the press conference? You mm-hmm. should Google Google that one. <laughs> Woo! He was a cowboy, man. He goes, I, I, are you a stud or a dud? I want studs. <laughs> it, was, it was like, because he's a football guy, you know, mm-hmm. and he, he brought that mentality to the hockey club, and everybody's like, who is this dude um, with your mostly Canadian uh, hockey team? So there's been, there's been some of those. Um, let's well, see, it, who it, else? Even the Glazers. So, yeah, I, I mean, to some we, degree. We went down Misery Lane a couple weeks ago. They, for right? three years, they refused to spend money on the team. Absolutely did. When they didn't have a floor and, and they could do that and not sign Watched anybody. it happen. Yeah. Um, a lot of bad coaching hires. I mean, you can go through the list of Shiano. Five and ten and, years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But they've brought two, two Lombardi trophies to Tampa Bay. And, and... And and you can't excuse them for those three seasons, and I don't think anybody should, that they were dabbling mm-hmm. in Man U and trying to take advantage of the system, you know, mm-hmm. where there was no no minimum salaries for players. I mean, they absolutely gutted the team so that they could have the lowest payroll to maximize their profits. You can't excuse them for that. Um, but on top of everything else, like after that, okay, from that point forward, mm-hmm. I really think they've done everything. I, I do. The one thing I'll say about the Glazers is I do think they want to win. And I do think they're willing to do what it takes to win. They built a big facility for the practice. It took mm-hmm. them 12, 12 years, but they did it, right? Mm-hmm. They, they have state-of-the-art stuff. They've hired coaches, good and bad, but out-of-the-box hires trying, trying to shake something up and win a Super Bowl. You know, trading for John Gruden was a bold move, brought him a Super Bowl. Firing mm-hmm. Tony Dungy was a risky thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, a beloved coach that took him to the playoffs four out of six years and had him on the brink at an NFC Championship game in 99. You fired that guy, but you know what? You traded a ton for John Gruden, which probably hurt you in later years, but you got the Lombardi Trophy. You know, um, same thing, like the bold move to, to, to you know, to, to have a team good enough to get Tom Brady to buy into your organization, to him take a look at this and say, yeah, I want to come there, um, you know, hiring Bruce Arians. And they and they went through a lot of coaches. I mean, I'm not gonna, you know, they they tried to hire guys that didn't come um, out of the box. You know, whether it was Steve Spurrier, um, you know, uh, you know, going back to Jimmy Johnson, they ended up with with Dungey. That was Coverhouse Trust, and then the Glazers come in and they get John Gruden, and then mm-hmm. you know they make some bad moves too because Greg Schiano wasn't was no way in no how a good a good hire. Um, but they they kept trying. They had five coaches in ten years. And they kept trying to find, you know, the right guy. And I always felt like they wanted to win. I just mm-hmm. felt like they didn't know who to who to trust to to get it done. Mm-hmm. You know, so. But but you also talked about Sue Sternberg. The Glazers were close to moving this team to Baltimore. They were. Oh, they were there. Listen, I'll never forget the call from Rich McKay the night that, um, of all things, right? The Cleveland Browns took that deal. The Cleveland Browns pulled out of Cleveland 
to go to Baltimore. And who would have thought that would have ever, ever happened? And when it did, it completely took away the leverage that the Glazers had. They were devastated by that news. They never thought that would occur. And, of course, the NFL put a team back in Cleveland, and now the Ravens are the ball. Or, you know, the former Cleveland Browns are now the Ravens. Um, but that, that absolutely gutted them. Um, they managed to get a stadium through a half-cent sales tax referendum in, in Hillsborough County that also included firemen and, and teachers and police and stuff like that. So, you know, I think Rich McKay had a lot to do with sort of navigating the political landscape there, and they were grateful to him. Um, and so they made it work. But they would have pulled this team out absolutely. They were not, you know, they wanted to make it work here, but they knew it wouldn't work here without a stadium. And if they hadn't gotten a stadium, much like Stuart Sternberg, they were looking for alternatives and thought they had one, you know, in um, in Baltimore. There's other guys. Like, I think of players, like, and I don't know that they were necessarily really disliked at the time, but one of the most unlikable guys I've seen, how about Aubrey Huff, mm-hmm. you know, for, for all the, the hype about him. Now, there's been other guys like, you know, they came in here, made money, didn't do anything. You know, Vinny Castilla, which they used to call him Castiller, you know, stuff like that. He's a decent guy, pretty good player back in his day. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Alvin Harper, if you're just mm-hmm. looking for busts, if we were going to go down the bus lane, you got a long list of them in Tampa Bay. But Harper was one of those guys. Um, How about a even, coach, Barry Melrose? Yes, 16 games, right? Is that what he lasted, uh, 16 Something games? like that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you just can't you just can't come in here and do that, you know. And, and and Melrose, because of that, I don't know that Melrose has always given them a great shake on TV either. Like when I've seen him back in the day, but um, yeah, that was that was a, a tragic situation. Um, it's it's interesting. I mean, Tampa Bay is obviously we're Tampa Bay now, mm-hmm. but we're full of misery too, right? Like you mm-hmm. talk about misery lane. I mean, they even Greg Schiano. I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it, the, the, that ended. We had MRSA. We had you know uh, inactive suites. We had the Josh Freeman disaster. You know, just uh, you know, not 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 necessarily ready for for the NFL uh, like you needed them yeah. to be. What so, about over at USF? I mean, you know, Jim Levitt built the program, had it successful, was fired. <laughs> Was the number two team in the country? Let's be yeah. honest. Yeah. I mean, he got the, he got them as high as number two in the nation. It wasn't a fluke. You know, they beat a really good West Virginia team. I'll never forget that at Raymond James, and actually went to went to Rutgers and lost to Greg Schiano uh, and Ray Rice, I believe. And and that was you know sort of the highest. That was sort of still to this day. You know, I mean, they were look. They you couldn't get a ticket to that game at Raymond James against West Virginia. That's how hot they were. That's how good they were. Mm-hmm. And I and I'm I'm personally invested in Jimmy Levitt cuz I've known him since he was 17 years old. And you know, my dad coached him full disclosure in baseball. He was all Big 8 instead of Big 12, now it's Big 12. All Big 8 at Missouri in both baseball and football. Like that stuff doesn't happen today, right? Um you're talking Bo Jackson type stuff. And that's that's who Jimmy Levitt was. He worked it out of a trailer you know, they worked out of a trailer over there at USF. And 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 it meant something to him because he's from St. Petersburg, Dixie Hollins High School, my high school, all of that. And, you know, what what he brought USF to in a short time was unbelievable. And it has not gotten back there since. Uh, the closest it came was probably under Willie Taggart when Quentin Flowers showed up and, and that saved Taggart's job. Um, I know how it ended for Jimmy. I know about... 
why they dismissed him, him putting his hands on a player, that sort of thing. Uh, I have some questions about that personally, you know, some of the stories I've heard. But regardless, I don't think he's a villain, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, some well, might see him that way. Well, I was I saying more that, you know, I mean, Skip Holtz was okay. Charlie Strong did not do good here. Charlie Strong did not do well. No. You know, Willie Taggart was about ready to be gone when Clinton Fl- Quentin Flowers went off. Yep. I mean, you know, you guys were on the radio ready to, to fire him. I had him. to ask him, yeah. But I never forget. He was calling every Tuesday. It was like his second year, I think, second or third season. And um, I looked at Tom and I said, we have to ask him if he's worried about his job. And we did. And he said, well, you know, he gave it the standard football answer, which was, I just got to, you know, worried about this weekend. I can't, you know, I just got to focus on now. We're going we're gonna to play a new quarterback. We're going to play Quentin Flowers. He's going to start for us. The rest is history. Literally, they were, I, I, I want to say my memory is not that great, but I want to say they were two and four mm-hmm. uh, when, when that change occurred or something like that. And, and uh, obviously, we know that, that Flowers, you know, took it to the next level. So, um, yeah, there's there's been a lot there's been a lot of characters in Tampa Bay. I mean, you're talking about you know how about Kellen Winslow Jr. Ooh, you know how about that? And we know what a bad guy he is now, right? Mm-hmm. He wasn't much better then. Trust me. Um, you know, I, I mean, I've we've covered some characters, you know, on on these. On we these didn't even mention Jameis Winston, who could be. Jameis Winston is probably, you know, he was the most polarizing player in Bucks history. I think. You know, I, I, half the people loved him, and that's not too strong a term. They loved, they still love Jameis Winston. The other half didn't want him here at all, mm-hmm. and I think I think that hurt him. I think it, you know, I think he battled that. Uh, you know, he he wanted so much to be accepted, and he was put to his defense. And I know, you know, people think I'm not a Jameis guy. I, I I'm not an anybody guy. I'm not a Brady guy. I don't care. Um, but at the end of the day, like Jameis Winston is a people pleaser. He wants to please everybody, and that's to a fault, by the way, uh, mostly his family. But um, the thing about it is, you know, nobody worked harder, all that stuff. He simply didn't play well, but he went to a horrible, horrible football team. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're the first overall pick in the draft, the team you go to, they're at 32 for a reason, man. They're not good at all. And he underwent some coaching changes. Now, he did have continuity with Dirk Cutter in the offense because Cutter later became his head coach. Um, but a lot that went on back in the early days was not his fault. He was put in an impossible situation. It's hard to lead guys, older players, men that have families and stuff, when you know you've never played in the NFL. Like you're trying to learn your job, you're trying to you know be successful, and you know you have to also kind of like be the leader of the football team. Like you usually have to earn that first even at the quarterback position, which is a position of leadership by its definition. But, like, you know, he had to walk that line between, hey, I, I haven't done anything in this league, and, oh, yeah, by the way, follow me. You know what I mean? Like, it was hard for him. And, and who was following him, really? And what kind, of, what kind of talent was around him? So, you know, towards the end, they had talented guys, and, and he still, you know, he didn't win. But, and ultimately, that's why he was, he was bounced out of here. But, yeah, Jameis, Jameis had a lot of detractors, man. You know, and he also had a lot of people, like I said, that loved him unconditionally. It was just, it was a unique experience with him. Hey, thanks for your questions. We went along on that one, but uh, you can send us more anytime. You can do that on Twitter at SportsDayTB. Reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at Tampa Bay 
Com. Game three tonight at Emily Arena. Of course, uh, it's the Leafs and the Lightning. And then game four is on Sunday. The Rays continue their series in Seattle. We'll talk about all of it on Monday. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.